Welcome to the Catholic Foodie Show on You Supported Real Life Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie. And since July 4th, uh, the 4th of July is just a couple of days away, I think it's appropriate that we talk uh, 4th of July recipes. Uh, Do you know what's going to be on your menu on the 4th of July? Have you planned your menu yet? Have you written down your shopping list? (laughs) Well, today I share with you a number of delectable recipes that are guaranteed to please a crowd. Some of them are my own recipes and others I have called from around the web. So stay tuned here to the Catholic Foodie Show on You Supported Real Life Radio. You know, I want to thank you for listening to the Catholic Foodie Show. You know, you can always be a part of the show. You can give me a call at 985-635-4974 and leave me a voice message. I can play your message here on the show, and uh, it'd be like a little conversation that we're having. That number again is 985-635-4974. You can also call in live by dialing 855-949-1380, 855-949-1380. You know, we say that Real Life Radio is you-supported, and that might just pique your curiosity. If it does, you can find out why we say it, and how it benefits you by going to realliferadio.com and clicking on the care to share link. The 4th of July, it's a day celebrating our nation's independence. Uh, It's always an excellent opportunity to get together with family and friends. And it seems like backyard grilling is synonymous with the 4th of July. And I'm going to give you today a recipe or two for the grill. But July is also so hot, you know. Uh, I don't know about where you are from, but down here in New Orleans, July and August can be almost unbearable. The heat, the humidity, oh man. Uh, We need to uh, plan on taking a dip in the pool on the 4th or maybe even playing in the sprinkler just to cool off. But don't worry, today I'll also give you some ideas for cool and refreshing libations. Well, we have a lot to talk about. So let's get started. Oh, you gotta taste this! This is oh, it's got this kind of it's burning, melty. It's not really a smoky taste. It, it, it's a certain oh, it's kind of like a you know, it's got like this boom zap kind of taste. Don't you think? What, what would you call that flavor? Lightningy. Yeah, it's lightningy. Oh, we gotta do that again. Okay, when the next storm comes, we'll go up on the roof. I know what this needs. Saffron. A little saffron would make this. Saffron. Why do I get the feeling it's it's in in the the kitchen? kitchen? And how about we start with backyard grilling today? You know, burgers and hot dogs are the classic main menu items on the 4th of July. As a matter of fact, an estimated 155 million hot dogs will be consumed on Saturday. Uh, Here are a few statistics uh, about the 4th of July, courtesy of statisticbrain.com. The number of hot dogs consumed on the 4th of July each year is approximately 155 million. Uh, The amount of chicken purchased the week leading up to the 4th of July, 700 million pounds. Uh, The amount of red meat or pork purchased the week leading up to the 4th of July, 190 pounds. Uh, The percent of American households with outdoor grills, (laughs) 87%. That's pretty cool, don't you think? 
you know, I, I always uh, tease my kids. They they we, they say, well, what are you having for uh, the Fourth of July? I said, well, what do you mean? You know, it's it's Fourth uh, of July. It's all about hot dogs and apple pie. You know, uh, and that's kind of the classic American fare. And when you think about hot dogs, you know, I, I found uh, I found this over at FactMonster.com. Uh, July is National Hot Dog Month, and according to the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council, Americans will be consuming the infamous little red tubes of meat in record numbers this year. Uh, the council estimates that over 7 billion hot dogs will be eaten by Americans between Memorial Day and Labor Day during the 4th of July weekend alone, which is the biggest hot dog holiday of the year. 155 million will be downed. Every year, Americans eat an average of 60 hot dogs each. Wow. 60 hot dogs each. Uh, They are clearly one of the country's most loved, but most misunderstood comfort foods. Uh, It makes us kind of wonder, you know, how did the hot dog get its name? At least I've always wondered that. Well, the hot dog is credited to sports cartoonist Ted Tad. Dorgan. Uh, At a 1901 baseball game at the Polo Grounds in New York, vendors began selling hot dachshund sausages in rolls. And uh, from the press box, Dorgan could hear the vendors yelling, get your dachshund sausages while they're red hot. He sketched a cartoon depicting the scene, but wasn't sure how to spell dachshund. So he called them simply hot dogs. And the rest is, as they say, history. Uh, So what exactly are hot dogs made of? (laughs) According to this article over at uh, factmonster.com, the response to that question is, nope, you're not allowed to ask that one. (laughs) And do you really want to know anyway? Uh, For the record, the council refers to the actual meat as specially selected meat trimmings. Uh, they would like to point out, however, that thanks to stricter U.S. Department of Agricultural, Agriculture rules, hot dog meat has become much leaner and, unless otherwise indicated, must be made from muscle, as most meat found in supermarkets is. Most supermarket hot dogs use cellulose casings, uh, which are removed before packaging. Some, however, still use the traditional natural casings made from animal intestines. Uh, During the early or during the 4th of July weekend, Americans will consume, as I've already mentioned, 155 million hot dogs, which is kind of crazy. By law, a hot dog can contain up to 3.5% of non-meat ingredients. Uh, But don't be scared. Uh, This is usually just some type of milk or soy product used to add uh, to the nutritional value of uh, the hot dog. Uh, Many hot dogs uh, may be relatively high in fat and sodium, but they're also a good source of protein, iron, and other necessary vitamins. You know, we kind of like Nathan's uh, hot dogs around here. And there's also Hebrew National, uh, which are kosher hot dogs. So in our family, if we do have hot dogs, it's typically going to be Hebrew National. It kind of keeps us a little bit connected, maybe, uh, symbolically at least, (laughs) to the Holy Land, right? Um, 
So what is the most popular condiment for a hot dog? Well, I have my answer. I know what that is. But uh, this this council I told you about before, the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council, their research shows that for adults, mustard is the condiment of choice, while children prefer ketchup. That said, preferences do change from region to region. For instance, uh, hot dogs in New York are generally served with a lighter mustard and steamed onions. While Chicago hot dogs come with mustard, relish, onions, tomato slices, or pretty much anything at all. Kids were also asked what condiment uh, they would use if their moms weren't watching. And 25% opted for chocolate sauce. (laughs) Go figure. Okay. Oh, wow. Uh, Do I spread my condiment on the meat? Or on the bun? I've never had anyone ask me that question, but apparently this uh, National Hot Dog Council has, and they say always dress the bun, the dog, I'm sorry, always dress the dog, not the bun. The council also recommends the following order for condiment application. First wet, mustard, for example, then chunky, relish or onions, then cheese, if desired, then any spices. And now note, please, please note that that was simply a recommendation. There are no hot dog police out there who are going to arrest you for putting the relish on first, right? It's kind of like like the recipe police. There, There is no such thing. So you can tweak a recipe to your heart's content and uh, don't have to worry about being arrested. That's pretty cool. Now, what should I drink with my hot dog? And this, again, coming from uh, this National Council of Hot Dogs and uh, and sausage uh, sausages. Uh, lemonade and iced tea are the tastiest drinks for a summer barbecue and are perfect with hot dogs, they say. And lucky for you and lucky for me, I'm going to share a recipe a little bit later in the show for a Vietnamese salty lemonade. I had this, oh, a couple of weeks ago, I believe, uh, at a Vietnamese restaurant here in town, and uh, I was blown away. I was absolutely blown away by it. It was so refreshing, so incredibly refreshing, and I think it would be uh, probably better for you uh, if you're exercising and working out. I think it would be better for you than Gatorade. I mean, this stuff was spot on, delicious, and uh, I think because of the, the the natural lemon that's in it, and also the salt would help to replenish any anything that you lose during a workout activity. And we'll talk about that a little bit in the sh- a little bit later in the show. I did come across a recipe for it. Uh, now I, I do want to uh, offer you a couple of suggestions, and and we'll be doing this uh, today. You know, some of the recipes I'm going to offer you today uh, come from. Uh, my book, uh, Around the Table with the Catholic Foodie, uh, Middle Eastern Cuisine. Uh, you can find those, or some of them at least. The ones that we're talking about today, you will find over at catholicfoodie.com as well. But I also want to let you know that uh, our friend Ian Rutherford over at Aquinas and More, he does have my book uh, available there on sale and uh, also has offered to the listeners of the Catholic Foodie Show uh, a, a coupon code for free shipping. So if you uh, go to aquinasandmore.com and you get uh, around the table with the Catholic foodie middle eastern cuisine and you put the the in the in the checkout process you use the 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 coupon code foodie radio all one word foodie radio you will get free 
shipping. Pretty awesome. I just ordered some books from uh, from Ian the other day, and I was able to use that code. So that's very exciting. Thank you very much, Ian, for that. Again, that's at Aquinas and more. Now, we have lots of good stuff coming to you right here today at the Catholic Foodie on the Catholic Foodie Show here on You Supported Real Life Radio. We do have to take a, a break in just a few minutes, or no, actually just a few seconds, but I assure you that we will be back in just Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show here on You Supported Real Life Radio. Uh, we're talking today about uh, recipes for the 4th of July, you know, which is this weekend coming up. Uh, very exciting time. Uh, great opportunity to get together with friends and family. Uh, the 4th of July weekend, usually a big cooking day. Uh, folks grilling outside, uh, uh, you know, hamburgers, hot dogs, all that good stuff. Uh, but, you know, if you wanted to go against the grain this 4th of July by going beyond the usual burgers and dogs, you might just want to try one of these crowd-pleasing recipes uh, from my book, Around the Table with the Catholic Foodie Middle Eastern Cuisine. How about throwing shish kebabs down on the grill instead of hot dogs or making lamb or goat burgers topped with labney or tzatziki sauce instead of the usual beef with mustard, ketchup, and pickle. Uh, I do have the recipe for shish kebabs and also the goat burgers or, or lamb burgers, which uh, is under a different name actually in uh, in the book. And I'm going to tell you which one that is and and how you can make a few minor adjustments to make that into a basically a hamburger made with lamb or or goat instead of uh, your traditional beef or cow uh, hamburger. Let's talk about shish kebabs though first for a moment. Uh, I'm telling you what, this is a true uh, crowd pleaser. You know, in my family. Family, uh, certain members, and this I think goes for any family, uh, but certain members are known for certain dishes. You know, uh, uh, cousin Brent Samaha, who is uh, my wife's uh, cousin, is known as the king of the shish kebab in our family. And uh, shish kebab, I gave a recipe on the show for a traditional type of shish kebab a couple of weeks ago, and that is really made with ground beef or ground lamb, uh, it or even a combination of the two. It is not a uh, shish kebab, as you and I would think of probably here in the States, where you have chunks of meat uh, interspersed with uh, vegetables, onions, uh, tomato slices, maybe zucchini or, or, or some sort of squash. Um, it, the traditional shish kebab in the Holy Land, in the, in the Middle Eastern countries, really is more of um, a ground ground meat that is seasoned, that is uh, kneaded in such a way that it becomes a very sticky, almost like a dough. And then it is formed or shaped around a metal skewer and is cooked over an open fire. So that's that's like a traditional uh, a shish kebab. What I'm talking about today, though, is what you and I would probably think of typically for shish kebab. It's uh, uh, pieces of meat. It could be fish. I mean, you do have a, you could do a fish shish kebab if you wanted to, but typically pieces of meat, uh, vegetables, uh, grilled over a fire on a skewer or a spit. Uh, the recipe uh, for shish kebab that I want to share with you here is is kind of an amalgamation. It's, it's kind of a compilation of, well, an amalgamation of uh, the recipes used by different family members. You know, uh, most of the cooks and my family and my wife's family cook like chefs do. Uh, there, there are no real written recipes. Um, it, cooking is, after all, a, 
a culinary art, right? And and they just love to, to do it. And, and over time have come up with certain ways of, of cooking certain dishes. And it doesn't necessarily have to be written down. And the funny thing about it is, and I don't know what it is about family recipes, but sometimes people can be... Um, really weird about it. <laughs> and they, they don't have it written down, but guess what? They don't want to tell you what it is either uh, because at the family gatherings, uh, they want to be the ones to make the dish and to wow all the uh, the attendees, you know, all the guests. So uh, what I have done is over time kind of put together piecemeal, if you will, uh, the recipe, this recipe for shish kebabs based on uh, the way that several different members of my wife's family make shish kebab. It's a, it's a great, shish kebab is great for feeding a crowd. Uh, and I tell you, you see this clearly, clearly uh, when it comes to tailgating. You know, tailgating at football games, of course, is a great American pastime. And, you know, my family uh, tailgates in style. Uh, Cousin Brent Samaha makes marinade by the gallon by the gallon and usually cooks about 15 pounds of beef and 10 pounds of chicken just to uh, to feed the family out of the tailgate uh, tailgating party at uh, before an LSU game. Uh, that may sound like a bit too much for a typical family weekend meal. Uh, so I pared down the quali- uh, the quantities in, in my recipe in the book uh, to a reasonable size, size for a family of five, uh, but with an eye toward big, big batch cooking. You know, in other words, if you're going to go through all the effort to prepare five pounds of meat for shish kebab, you might as well do 10 <laughs> and have enough to last for a couple of meals, right? So the recipe that I give and the recipe I'm sharing with you right now is for 10 pounds of meat. It could be beef, chicken, or lamb. And here's the deal. What you, what you do is kind of a two-step process. First of all, you have, well, three-step process, really. First of all, you make a, a marinade. And uh, the thing with uh, Cousin Brent, he likes to marinate the marinade for a day or two, uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, you know, anytime you put things together like that and let it sit, it's going to, the flavors are going to come together. The flavors are going to gel, or as they say, uh, marry, the flavors will definitely marry. So this is what he does, uh, for the, the marinade or what, what the recipe calls for here is one cup of fresh squeezed lemon juice, uh, a half a cup of extra virgin olive oil, five teaspoons of kosher salt, or to taste, uh, two teaspoons of freshly cracked black pepper, or to taste, uh, one and a half to two teaspoons of crushed red pepper flakes, or to taste, uh, a handful of dried mint and crushed finely, uh, 10 cloves of garlic minced, a half an onion finely chopped, one to two jalapeno peppers seeded and chopped, six ounces of Worcestershire sauce, and four ounces of Louisiana hot sauce or something comparable. Uh, you could, I guess, use uh, Tabasco. The problem with Tabasco is that it's a little more on the hot side and uh, doesn't have as, as strong of a, of a vinegar flavor as, say, like Louisiana hot sauce or crystal hot sauce. So I, I prefer Louisiana for this because it has the, the the vinegar flavor, but also has a real uh, a real kick when it comes to, to heat. Uh, and so what you do is you make that marinade. And if you want to, I could t- I'll tell you what I do. Typically, I don't marinate the marinade, usually because there's just not a whole lot of time for me to uh, to do that. Um, I do like to try to plan ahead, but sometimes it's a day in advance and not two days in advance. So I'll make the marinade. And then what do you do uh, to make the marinade? You want to uh, add the garlic, kosher salt, black pepper, lemon juice to a food processor and pulse it until it's well blended. Add the olive oil, crushed red pepper, 
Worcestershire and mint, and then pulse that lightly to incorporate. What you want to do is you want to take the meat, whatever meat you get. Um, it could be beef, chicken, uh, or lamb, as I mentioned here. And you want to uh, take the meat and cut it into uh, one and a half to two inch cubes. You want to uh, something a little bit bigger than bite size. Because uh, you want it to, to stand together. You want to try to cut it in, into cubes because that shape is very, uh, it, it's, it's easier for that kind of a shape to, first of all, fit on the skewer. Secondly, to cook evenly, right, on one side and then the other. So we cut it into cubes. Um, and then we t- take the onions because for the shish kebab itself, I use six medium sweet yellow onions, five bell peppers. I take whole mushrooms and, you know, you can do those white uh, mushrooms. You can do the criminy uh, or, or baby portobello, they call them sometimes, mushrooms, whatever you prefer. Cherry tomatoes. I love doing cherry tomatoes are just the right size for this. And it's, you know, it's up to you how many to do. I usually do about a pound of mushrooms and I usually do about a pound of cherry tomatoes. Uh, I, I do five bell peppers. I don't know if I mentioned that. And then 12 to 14 pounds of either the, the beef sirloin, uh, leg of lamb or, or chicken. And of course, if you do leg of lamb, it's going to be much more expensive than doing uh, beef or, or chicken, but they, they both work well. Uh, chicken, I have to tell you, you know, uh, chicken breasts work really well because they're easy to cut. Um, and, and marinate them, marinating them, uh, certainly helps them to retain some of the, uh, the, the, their moisture as they grill. Uh, but for me personally, uh, chicken thighs are the juiciest. And even though it's, it's a little bit more difficult to, to get the, the, to get the right cut, let's put it that way, to get the right cut of the chicken thighs, I still prefer that cut of, of chicken over, over the breast. All right. So I mentioned you need to cut the meat into one and a half to two inch cubes and then take your onions and quarter them. Cut the bell peppers into bite sized pieces. And what you want to do is place the meat in a large container or in one or more resealable plastic bags. And then in a separate container, I always want to keep the meat and the veggies separate. In a separate container, you place the quartered onions, the bell pepper, and the whole mushrooms. And then you divide the marinade between the containers and then seal them and refrigerate them overnight. And that's, uh, that's pretty much it. Your work is just about over. Usually the following day, as I'm uh, heating up the grill, I recruit the children to come into the kitchen and to help with the skewers. And you can use, if you have metal skewers, that's great. I like to use a large, kind of a thicker uh, bamboo skewer. Some people will say, oh, you've got to soak those. If you're going to grill with them, you've got to soak those overnight. You know, you got to soak them for, or soak them for at least an hour uh, to prevent them from burning or scorching. In my experience, it doesn't matter. <laughs> In my experience, uh, they're going to kind of scorch whether you do that or not. So typically I don't. I just uh, I just start to um, have the kids helping me to uh, to put together, to skewer uh, the, the shish kebab, to put it all together. I always put meat at the base because it's easy to keep balance on that skewer when you're flipping them. If you have a piece of meat there on first, it keeps everything else in tight as well. And I like to end with uh, meat on the very end and just have the kind of alternate the pepper, the onion, and the the tomatoes and more meat in between. So each of your skewers is going to vary. It depends on what size, uh, how long your skewers are and the cut of the meat and all of that. But have fun. It's something you could do with the family, something you could do with the kids. You have fun uh, at the table there or, or we like to 
set up our big old table uh, as a workstation to do this type of work. And, uh, and it works very well. How about that? Uh, what I like to do is brush each skewer with a little olive oil to prevent sticking on the grill. And uh, there is a little trick that you can use uh, when you are, if you have a, a charcoal grill outside, you want, you want the grill hot and you want the heat concentrated. And there's a little trick that you can use if you're using charcoal. And I'm going to have to tell you about that after the break. You are listening to the Catholic Foodie Show here on You Supported Real Life Radio. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show here on You Supported Real Life Radio. Uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, you know getting right up to the point of actually putting the uh, the shish kebab on the grill. I was saying that I have a tip for you. If you're using charcoal, you really want to have a high heat and you want to have it uh, concentrated. And so, what I like to do is to get. Um, uh, like a roasting pan. You can get the cheap roasting pan. They're about a dollar at uh, at the grocery store or maybe the dollar store would have them. Uh, they're aluminum uh, roasting pans. And what I'll do is I'll uh, take a knife or something and poke some holes all throughout the bottom of that pan. And what, what I use a, a little chimney to get my charcoal going. And uh, once I do, I will... Um, Take the, the the charcoals and pour them into the uh, the roasting pan, that aluminum pan, which is disposable. And uh, sometimes I might need to do extra charcoals. I may do a, a second chimney, whether it's completely full or not. It depends. Depends on what I'm doing, how I'm cooking, how long I think I'll be cooking. Uh, but basically, you can get that. And what that does is it also will it, it concentrates the charcoals instead of having them spread out all over that the bottom of the grill. It it, it brings them all together keeps it gives you a really nice concentrated area of heat and uh, put the the other grill right on top of that uh, the the actual grate right on top of it and uh, and, and that's where I'll, I'll set the, uh, the the shish kebabs down on that now I mentioned right before the break too that I like to uh, brush the shish kebabs each one individually the skewers with um, with olive oil a little olive oil regular uh, not not extra virgin just regular olive oil and it helps to prevent sticking and I place them on the grill. I try not to overcrowd the grilling surface, and I cook them until done, and I rotate them only once, only once. Uh, the cook time certainly depends on uh, how hot the grill is and how uh, how well done you want the meat. And it would it would that would also vary between whether you're cooking chicken or uh, or beef. And that is a shish kebab, and that is a, just a delightful um, uh, meal. And it's kind of adventurous. It's it's fun to make. It's, it's the kids can be in the kitchen helping you do it. Uh, it. It smells incredible. The marinade, I'm telling you, we we made this. Um, I guess it was probably about a year ago. We made this for a theology on tap event uh, that is associated with uh, the North Shore area, kind of where our parish is at the Abita Brewery, uh, the visitor center there at the Abita Brewery in in Abita Springs, Louisiana, and uh, it was a huge hit. Huge hit. Uh, I had so many compliments that night, uh, uh, folks who had had this really for the first time, right? Um, you may have had shish kebab at a restaurant. This this is different. This is a family recipe. This is certainly uh, coming from a, a Lebanese family who lives in Louisiana. So we have the, the Cajun and Creole influence uh, there. Uh, so that, that is one option if you want to kind of go against the grain this 
4th of July. Now, another option I had mentioned uh, before the break, too, are uh, goat burgers or lamb burgers. Um, I have a recipe in the book around the table with the Catholic foodie, Middle Eastern cuisine, uh, for, I'm trying to find them here, kafta. And this is what, this is, this kafta is actually another name, another word for uh, the traditional shish kebabs. Remember I told you about that uh, in, the, in the last segment, how uh, in the Middle East, when you talk about shish kebab, typically you're talking about this. You're talking about ground meat that is seasoned and then it's, it, they need it. They need it by hand until it becomes very sticky and they take it and they'll form it around a skewer, a metal skewer typically. And uh, you, it could be formed in a long and then flattened out. It could be formed in a long cylinder and left in a cylinder shape. Uh, it looks a little odd, I think, uh, to, to, to a typical American's uh, view when they're looking at the plate. It does look a little odd. Um, I've have had comments when I've made that before in the past and people look at that and they're like, Hmm, that that doesn't exactly look appetizing. Well, it tastes great. <laughs> it smells wonderful. Uh, it just looks a little odd. Um, <clears throat> but in the Holy Land and, and in uh, across the Middle East, that's the norm. You know, the norm is this uh, this type of kafta or what they call kafta or a, a shish kebab uh, that that is made from ground ground beef and no no vegetables on there. There's no onions or, or bell peppers or cherry tomatoes. It's just just the meat and then they they grill it over an open open fire. Uh, so I do have a recipe in uh, the book and also I do have this one uh, on the website over at CatholicFoodie.com too. It's called kafta k a f t a or lamb meatballs and um, this is, it's really, really, it really is. It's very good. Uh, you know, lamb, lamb is a favorite uh, meat in, in our house and not just because of the obvious scriptural references to Jesus as the lamb of God. Uh, you know, at large family gatherings on my wife's side of the family, um, the tables are usually covered with stuffed grape leaves, kusa, meshi or stuffed squash, hummus, pita, um, tabbouleh, which I'd love to, if we have time today, I'd love to give you the recipe for tabbouleh, baba ganoush, uh, labni, labni is, uh, is a yogurt based sauce, a Lebanese based sauce with uh, lemon and salt in it. It's very, very good. Uh, you can dip your grape leaves in there or, or, uh, what, or, or even kibbe, you know, different types of kibbe, whether fried kibbe or baked kibbe or, uh, and then sometimes on the table, we'll even have, uh, lamb chops. That's a little more expensive, but, uh, but it's very, very good. So what is this, this kofta? Well, you know, it could be lamb meatballs. I use this in different recipes. Um, I, I use this. Matter of fact, I have a, 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 a wonderful soup uh, recipe that uses these uh, uh, the same meat, the same basic uh, recipe here for the kofta. Uses it as a meatball form, uh, and that goes into the soup. But what you can do as well is make this kofta and then grill it as a burger. And totally different flavor than what you would expect from a typical hamburger. Um, let me tell you, uh, first of all, like how you can make it or what, what, uh, how it's made. Uh, the kofta, usually I'll start out with two pounds of ground lamb. Uh, you can also use ground beef, like ground round, as an example, can be substituted. In the past, I have even uh, done half and half. I'll do a, a pound of lamb and a pound of, uh, of beef. And of course, you may have to adjust uh, the measurements here, depending on how many people you're cooking for and how many burgers you are planning to make. Uh, I take a large sweet yellow onion uh, and chop it finely. Four cloves of garlic. I crush that 
uh, with a mortar and pestle. And uh, I'm going to tell you exactly how you do all this in just a minute. Uh, Six tablespoons of fresh parsley chopped. Two tablespoons of fresh mint chopped. One teaspoon of freshly cracked black pepper. Two teaspoons of kosher salt. A half a teaspoon of cayenne pepper or to taste. Then one teaspoon each of allspice, cinnamon, and cumin. Those are three uh, very common, commonly used uh, seasonings or spices in the Middle East, in the Holy Land. And you add that to things that, you know, to meat. I mean, you know, allspice and cinnamon and, of course, cumin. We do that. Mexico uses a lot of, uh, a lot of cumin in their, uh, in their recipes as well. So how do you make this? First of all, uh, if you're going to be grilling, you can go ahead and preheat the grill. Uh, I, sometimes I'll do these and do them as burgers and do them in the oven. I could just do it under the broiler if I wanted to. Uh, but uh, preheat the grill or the oven to medium-high heat. Um, you want to take all the ingredients and mix them together. I'll have a big old glass mixing bowl that I like to use. And then, uh, you know, you, you would take, uh, you, once you have it all mixed together, form it into, like you would for any kind of hamburger, right? Form it into balls. I like to form it into a ball. If you have a, uh, you want to get particular, you could use a little kitchen scale and measure each one. So, you know, I don't know what you want to do. You want to do a quarter pound, a half pound, a full pound, I mean, whatever, however you want to make them. Um, <clears throat> I usually do just by you know, kind of eyesight, eyeball it to where it's uh, it fits in the palm of my hand. And you make as many of those as you need for, for the burgers, and then you shape them into the uh, the size that you would expect them to, to be for a hamburger. And you grill them on the grill. That's it. That's all there is to it. What I would say, though, is instead of doing ketchup and mustard and pickles, you would do uh, laban or labney, which is a kind of like a tzatziki sauce is something you probably are familiar with uh, from Greece. If you have any Greek food, uh, typically uh, tzatziki would come with, uh, come with that. I'm trying to look up here in the book, um, the recipe for Labney, which is also on the website over at catholicfoodie.com. Labney, L-A-B-N-E-H. It's a Middle Eastern yogurt cheese and uh, it can be made from Laban. I use, uh, if you want to make a big batch of this, four cups of Laban, which is a Lebanese yogurt. Uh, you can also use a, a full fat Greek yogurt. That's, I mean, all the flavors in the fat. It's really good for you. Uh, full fat Greek yogurt. And then uh, three teaspoons of salt. And that's all you use typically to make uh, basic uh, Labney, except for the fact that I like to add lemon juice in there as well. Right before. I mean, I'll I'll add some lemon juice and mix it in. And you can use that as a topping. Uh, fresh tomatoes go great on a burger like this. Uh, if you wanted to put lettuce, you can certainly put some, maybe some romaine, make it a little different, a little romaine. <clears throat> if you wanted to get really, really adventurous and uh, and show off in front of your family and friends, then you could uh, put some feta cheese instead of an American cheese on a hamburger, put feta cheese on this. It's very good. Uh, in the Holy Land and in all throughout the Middle East, uh, people really love uh, pickled vegetables and you'll have pickled turnips, you'll have pickled, uh, well, cucumbers, of course, but all kind of things that are pickled, pickled onions, pickled beans. I mean, all kind of uh, uh, pickled things. And so you could take some of that, whatever you may have, and put those on the burger as well instead of pickles. And so you have this beautiful Middle Eastern uh, Holy Land themed burger to uh, to help you celebrate the 4th of July. 
is there some symbolism in that? You know, independence from uh, sin and death, you know, with Jesus being the Lamb of God, I probably I mean, there we I'm sure we could we could come up with something. But I will tell you this incredibly delicious, incredibly delicious. I know you will enjoy that. And uh, believe, uh, matter of fact, if you do try any of these recipes, I'd love to hear about it. Let me know. You can always give me a call and leave me voice feedback at 985-635-4974. 985-635-4974. You are listening to The Catholic Foodie Show here on You Supported Real Life Radio. We have to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show on You Supported Real Life Radio. You know, we, we say that uh, Real Life Radio is you supported, and uh, that may just pique your curiosity. I certainly hope it does. Uh, you know, you can find out why we say that and, and how it benefits you by going to realliferadio.com and clicking on the Care to Share link. You know, today I'm giving you some recipe ideas for the 4th of July, uh, just in case you want to try something a little different, a little out of the ordinary, a little beyond the typical burgers and dogs. Uh, we have talked about a shish kebab, a Lebanese uh, shish kebab, and also, uh, well, Middle Eastern goat burgers or lamb burgers. You could also use a combination of beef and lamb or beef and goat. Goat is typically a little bit cheaper than than lamb, and uh, sometimes I do mix those uh, those two with uh, with beef. Uh, especially if I'm doing a big recipe, uh, it, it kind of helps to cut the cost. You still get that good flavor of the lamb or the goat, uh, kind of fortified there with uh, with the beef. It's good stuff. <clears throat> now, I, I, you know, there's never enough time. Here we are. We're in the last segment of the show. There's simply never enough time. When we start talking about food and recipes, do you feel that way? That's how I feel. I've only given you two so far. I've got 10 on my list. How how am I going to get through this? I have no idea. I guess what I can do is maybe uh, in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com, I can just put together a little list of suggested recipe ideas for you. So once you're finished listening to the show today, you can go to catholicfoodie.com. You'll see that the top most post will be about uh, this particular show. It'll be about the recipes for 4th of July. Uh, And you can also, by the way, you can also share that with your family and friends, send them a link to the show. Uh, and, and since we do release this as a podcast, it's recorded and released as a podcast after the fact, they can always listen to it. You can listen to it next year when you come around to 4th of July and you're thinking of what you can make. It's going to be there forever. So uh, share it with your family and friends, please. I I would love for you to do that. And also, I want to invite you again, uh, as I did in the beginning of the show, if you have any questions, comments, anything you'd like to share with me, uh, feel free to do that. I love getting voice feedback. You can always call me at 985-635-4974, 985-635-4974 at any time of the day or night and leave a voice message uh, at that number. And I can always play that here on the show. And then it's kind of like, you know, we're having a conversation. It's just me and you talking and it's really cool because everybody else can listen in. They get to hear. And uh, <clears throat> well, you know, people like that. It's I, I like it. You know, it's it's fun. So give me a call. 95-635-4974. Since this is live radio here on You Supported Real Life Radio, uh, we have the ability for you to call in now if you wanted to call and talk to me 
now, you actually could by uh, calling 855-949-1380, 855-949-1380. And uh, we haven't, I haven't uh, had the pleasure yet of talking to someone live on the show. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um if you want to be the first, have at it. You know, there's nobody else in line right now, just you. Uh, 855-949-1380. Uh, one of the reasons why I haven't had any of those calls yet, live calls, is uh, I think because, you know, a lot of folks are listening to the show live on the Real Life Radio app. And uh, if you're listening to it on the app on your phone, h- how are you going to call? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't that make sense? You're on your phone. You're listening to the show. If I say, hey, call me, that means you got to stop listening to the show. So I, I don't know. We need to figure out a way around that. But uh, anyway, you can listen to the phone. I mean, listen to the show on your phone and on your, your smartphone and then take your friend's smartphone and, and use that to call in. That'll work, right? Or your coworker, maybe just grab their phone where they're not looking and just call in. 855-949-1380, 855-949-1380. Now, we talked about uh, the shish kebab earlier. We talked about goat burgers. I call them goat burgers because at the Greek Fest in New Orleans, that's what they serve every year. They do they do serve goat burgers, but they could be lamb burgers. They're just Middle Eastern burgers, and they're very good. Now, I want to get at least one salad in today because um, salads can also be, especially a cool salad on a hot day, can be a real crowd pleaser uh, for a big, uh, big party. And I love tabbouleh. Tabbouleh is a Lebanese or there's a, in the Middle East, all the countries have their own variation or version of it. Tabbouleh is, is, is technically a parsley salad. It's a parsley salad. They use a lot of chopped parsley in it and uh, flat leaf parsley. But, you know, here in South Louisiana, we have, you know, tomatoes are plentiful, especially this time of year. And so even though it's a parsley salad, ours is kind of tomato heavy. Excuse me. Oh, goodness. It's those summer allergies. Uh, Tomatoes are are, are wonderful. I love this salad. This is one of my favorites. And this is what you would need. Uh, A half a cup of extra virgin olive oil, uh, two bunches of fresh Italian flat leaf parsley, finely chopped, two to four tablespoons of fresh mint, finely chopped, one bunch of green onions, finely chopped, one sweet yellow onion, finely chopped. You getting a, you getting the trend here? You getting the, uh, the, the, I guess is the trend, right? Everything's finely chopped. Why? Because this is all going to be, you want everything to be bite-sized. You want everything to be uniform because it's all, you're, you're not cooking this. It's not going to be cooking down. It's just a straight salad. You're eating all of it raw. Uh, so everything finally, finally chopped. Um, six to eight medium vine tomatoes. I like homegrown tomatoes. Nothing beats the homegrown tomatoes or Creole tomatoes down here in South Louisiana. And you want to dice those. Um, one quarter to one half cup of bulgur wheat, bulgur wheat. Uh, you know, when you, when you go to the store to get bulgur wheat, and that's something that if you're a typical American, you probably haven't done before, but bulgur wheat comes in different sizes. It's, um, with a pound sign, like you'd have like one or two, it's a pound, one pound, two, uh, the pound sign, like a hashtag. Um, and that's by the grade. So it's like a, a, a number one grade or number two grade. Um, number one is the smallest, and that's typically what we like to use. Number two is sufficient. Uh, number two, uh, you can certainly use that. And what you do is bulgur wheat is just cracked wheat. 
and what you what you do to make the salad is you take the bulgur wheat and it's a quarter cup to a half cup and you soak it in water cold water for 20 to 30 minutes and it kind of reconstitutes and you add that to uh to the salad um my wife prefers and i, I kind of follow suit because i love her and and i want to follow suit here and we kind of go on the low end there about a quarter quarter cup of um of bulgur wheat and then uh, the juice of one or two lemons and of course it depends because when you're dealing with real lemons, some of them are juicier than others. You just, just got to go by taste. Uh, one teaspoon of kosher salt uh, or to taste, and then one half to one teaspoon of cayenne pepper or to taste, and then several of the inner leaves uh, from a head of romaine lettuce. You want to wash that and dry it. So what you basically do is once you have uh, finished chopping and dicing and soaking all the things you were supposed to chop and dice and soak. Uh, you can begin to assemble the tabbouleh. And uh, I usually throw together all the, the parsley, the mint, the onion, the bulgur wheat, the green onion into a large glass mixing bowl or salad bowl uh, as I chop. So I just, when I'm chopping, I just throw it in there, throw it in the big bowl. Everything goes in one big bowl. Then I usually dice the tomatoes uh, last, and then I just toss them in on top. Now I add the, uh, the half a cup of extra virgin olive oil and the lemon juice to the bowl, and I mix that well. Uh, it's best to go slowly. You know, this is uh, one of those you got to eyeball it recipes. Uh, there are lots of variables. The size of the bunches of parsley, as an example, the size of the bunch of green onions. Um, it just t- it takes practice and lots of tasting. Uh, but that's OK. Right. That's fun. That's all right uh, to get it just right. And so you go slow, go slow, go slow on the olive oil and the lemon juice. And then you season with salt and cayenne to taste. Uh, typically, once I've got it to where it tastes great, I'll put some uh, plastic uh, wrap over the top of it, stick it in the fridge and let it let the flavors marry. Right. And let the salad itself just kind of chill, let it cool. And uh, when I when we when it's ready, I'll serve it on uh, plates or or even in a little bowl. And we serve it alongside um, those inner leaves of, of romaine, because what, you know, romaine, the way it is shaped, it's almost like a little uh, flute or a little shape, uh, uh, a little, I don't know, bowl there. We can actually scoop some of the tabbouleh into the romaine leaf and then eat it that way. It's uh, very delightful, very refreshing. It's a wonderful uh, salad. I hope that you will try that one out and then let me know how it goes. You can always leave me voice feedback at 985-635-4974. We have only a couple of minutes left on the show. I have a recipe. I'm going to see if I can find it here. Uh, A recipe for this salty lemonade I told you about at the beginning of the show. Vietnamese preserved lemons and salty Lemonade. I'm going to put a link in the show notes for this recipe. I have never made it. I have only uh, tasted this uh, salty lemonade for the first time about a month ago. Um, you talk about incredible. But I'll tell you what they do, and this is a, a Vietnamese uh, uh, recipe, is they take lemons, uh, three to five lemons, and it depends on how many. You need a jar. You need some sort of a like a, a jar with a lid. Uh, there's a word for those. A mason jar. Mason jar. Uh, it depends on how many lemons will fit in there, three to five. You need one and a half cups of water and a quarter cup of kosher salt plus more to sprinkle. And what you want to do is in a small saucepan over medium high heat, dissolve the salt in the water, then remove the brine from the heat. Wash and scrub your lemons thoroughly to remove any wax from store-bought lemons or any dirt from homegrown lemons. And then slice off the top and the bottom of the lemon so that a little of the flesh is showing. 
slice the lemon lengthwise into quarters, but don't go all the way through. And then you want to salt the inside of the, those lemon quarters, and then you stuff them down into the uh, the jar, fill it with uh, with that salty brine, and let it sit at room temp on the counter for three weeks. Now this is going to pickle those lemons, and uh, the, the the drink that we're going to make from this is that you basically take some of that lemon pickled lemon out, put it in the bottom of a glass, muddle it, you know, mash it up to get all the the juice out of it. Throw some ice in there, maybe a little bit of sugar, and then pour soda water in the uh, in the glass. Use a straw. You can use a straw to, to drink it. It is a salty, sweet, delicious phenomenal drink. I love this thing. Definitely on my agenda. We'll be making it very soon, but we are at the end of the show, folks. Thank you again for listening to the Catholic Foodie Show here on You Supported Real Life Radio. We'll be back tomorrow with more recipes and more faith and food talk. I'll see you then. SQPN, leading the way in Catholic new media.